What is a church? Outside there's a sign that says that this building's a church. This property is church property. And there's a picture of a church. The church that we meet in. And there's a picture from 2004 of the church when you think about its membership. But what is a church? And what are you doing about it? What a church is not is something we ought to consider first. A church is not a religious building where you're driving down the road and your children say, Did you see that church? It's not a thing to do on Sundays when children may also say, or adults, Let's go to church. A church is not a social club for Sunday networking, as some denominations cater to. It's not a religious club for following a popular man. It's not a man-made organization following man's rules. And it's not an auditorium for a musical or an oratorical or a religious drama. It's not a religious building. Now, most people look at a picture like that and say, that's a church. But a church is not a religious building based on the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ in our Bibles. Right. You know, there's the inside of a fancy church. You know, well, that's, that's a lot prettier than our church. But a church isn't prettiness. And a church is not a building. And a church is not stained glass and bright blue marble with inlays in the aisle. A church is not something that we do on Sundays when the family gets together and they play on Saturday and they go to school on Monday through Friday and they go to church on Sunday. It's not a club for Sunday networking where you stand around and keep your connections fresh for your business needs. A church is not a religious club of a popular man or his wife or the two of them. It's not a man's business organization. This is the organization chart for a church in order to get its business done. You know, organizing authority is a good thing, but a church is far more than a business organization that follows men's rules. It's not an auditorium for a drama. This is the Mormon temple in Salt Lake City. And uh, you probably can't even see him, but there is someone in charge down there. But it's not an auditorium for a show. And here's a different kind of a show where they stand and go through a stage show of turning a little cracker into the body, blood, and soul, and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what a church is. A church is a group of believers that have separated themselves from the world and committed themselves to each other. They are all baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They all believe the same thing. They have committed to follow the Bible. They have committed to love one another. And they meet to worship and learn of the Lord Jesus Christ and wait for Him to come from heaven. That's what a church is. A church looks like this. This is the New Providence Predestinarian Baptist Church in DeWitt County, Illinois, about 1908. Building doesn't look too fancy. They're in their Sunday best, though, aren't they? You know, this idea of casual worship is an invention of the last 30 years because men do not give God the glory that He deserves in the format of their services nor in the attire that they wear into those services. The expression Sunday best is well known by anyone over the age of 40 because your best set of clothing was used on Sunday to wear it to church to honor the Lord. And that is biblical because it's taught in Genesis chapter 35 and Exodus chapter 19 where in both cases to meet God they were supposed to wash their clothes and anoint themselves and prepare themselves to meet the Lord. 
Or, or does a church look like this? You know, there's one, there's one. What is a church? And what are you doing about it? That's what I want you to leave with. This isn't very deep. It's do you understand how important what we are and what we're doing is in the sight of God? How important is a church? Which is more important? Solomon's temple? Or a church like this? Isn't that... I love to think about these kind of things. As a child in Bible story books and looking at Solomon's temple and reading about the size of the altar and reading about the amount of gold and reading about the sacrifices that he would have offered on it and reading about the smoke filling that inner sanctuary where the priest couldn't minister because God's presence was so overpowering. You know, as a boy, if you if you really feared the Lord and you loved the Lord, you oh, I wish I could be there. Well, this is better. Amen. This is on this side of the cross, and these are blood-bought believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, an old Baptist church from Illinois, where the Holy Spirit indwells, and this is where God is truly worshipped, and where they could all go into the presence of God together. And Jesus Christ would walk around that candlestick and fellowship with them every Lord's Day when they assembled and all week long as they walked with Him. Or does a church look like this? What's more important? Solomon's temple? A church like this or like this? What is a church? Now here we go. It's God's temple. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 20 through 22. God's temple. The Apostle Paul wrote, that Gentiles are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here's, we're talking about a building. There's a foundation involved. The apostles and prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We have a building here. Amen. We have a building here. And it's far better than Solomon's temple. That's right. In whom all the building fitly framed together. You and I are the two by fours that make up this building. And we're fitly framed together because God's chosen to put us together in a church relationship. His body, His bride, His temple. And it groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. We grow together as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ to far exceed Solomon's temple. Isn't that exciting? Okay, we've got one of 30 points done. God's temple. Glory. What a wonderful thing. Do you care about this church? This is the temple of the living God by New Testament terminology. It's the Spirit's house. Let's go back to that same passage and look at verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells on earth, not the building, in the people and its assemblies. The Holy Spirit of God. You know, the Holy Spirit of God moved upon the waters in creation in Genesis chapter 1, the first three verses. But the Holy Spirit dwells here. It's the candlestick spoken of in Revelation chapter 2. And we want to live holy lives and follow the truth and hold fast sound doctrine so that we keep the Holy Spirit in our church because He can be removed. And He's been removed from most so-called churches just as was threatened to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.5. Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will remove thy candlestick from thee, Jesus told that church. It's the Spirit's house. Unbelievable. This church is the house, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. 
The church is Christ's body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, God hath put all things under His feet, that's the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave Him to be the head over all things. Jesus Christ is the head, He's the ruler, the governor, the king, the Lord of lords over all things to the church. Why is He the head of all things? For our benefit. He changes governments. He changes employers. He blesses employees. He helps us find spouses. He's with us. He's taken care of this country for the last 40 or 50 years when we thought it was going to fail in the 60s when we were having race wars, race riots in our streets. You know, the government raided all our coinage in 1964 and took all the silver out of our coins and left us with base metals. What do you want to talk about? We were in Nam, and we lost 58,000 men and spent billions and billions and billions. But the Lord's preserved us. We're wicked. Prayer came out of the schools. The Ten Commandments came out of the schools. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side, and He's the head of all things to the church, which is His body. And this is the point right now. This church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to give you a picture of a man's body and with a head on it, and we were going to look at the head and realize that's the Lord Jesus Christ and we're the body, because I don't want to do any images that even get close to images of God or His Son. But we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the terminology of Scripture. He's the head over all things to the church. He's the head. We're the body. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Jesus Christ is God who fills the universe. He's everywhere at all times, which is His omnipresent character trait, but we are the fullness of Him. Without us, He's incomplete, because by covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ has committed Himself to us, and God has committed us to Him, and without us, He's incomplete. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. That is a fantastic statement. I've preached it before, but I want to. Sh- I, I love PowerPoints, because... I get to open the Bible for you and get you there on time so that you can see the words and I get to highlight the words and and I want you to rejoice in what the Bible says to us about the church. Incredible. Three things so far. Christ's body. It's the potentate's property. Paul would write Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and say, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Jesus Christ who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession Jesus did right well when he was on trial before the Roman governor. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul charging Timothy to be faithful, which in his times he shall show. When he chooses to come and return to this earth, he will show who is the blessed and only potentate. What a title. Who needs to join the Masonic Lodge to hear about a potentate? There's only one potentate in the world, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Potentate means a man with power. And there's only one with power. God's power. The Lord Jesus. He is the blessed and only potentate. I hate the Masonic Lodge for about a thousand and one reasons, but one of the reasons I hate them is because they use the word potentate and they have no power. Those little red-fezzed Islam uh, mimicking fat men that wander down the streets. That ain't no Christian religion. That's an anti-Christian religion. Go read about their holy underwear and some of their horrible 
initiations and rites that they go through. But I, I don't, I'm not preaching on the Masonic Lodge tonight. Who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we are His property. Amen. The blessed and only potentate of the universe, this is what He considers His property on earth, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are others just like us. It's the Scripture repository where the Bible is kept. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also... Paul told the church at Thessalonica, We thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. They had the scriptures presented to them by the Apostle Paul, and they believed them, and they kept them, and they defended them. They would take their epistle and trade it with the epistles from other churches. The Bible tells us that in the book of Colossians, where it tells the Colossians to make sure that their epistle is given to the church of the Laodiceans, and that the Colossians pick up the epistle to the Laodiceans and bring it back to their church. That's, but the epistle to the Laodiceans is not in the 27 books of your New Testament, because God in His providence chose that we didn't need that one. But it's the, it's the, the repository for Scripture. The Old Testament Scriptures were kept by the Jewish nation. They had scribes that kept them meticulously for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the churches kept the Bible for us and we're thankful for that. And we want to be defenders of the Bible, which is why we take the stand that we do on our King James Bibles, why we preach the way that we do from the word at the word level. We trust every word. We love every word. We want to teach every word and memorize every word. Because the church is a repository or a place where the scriptures are kept. If you go to the book of the Revelation, you'll find the martyrs there, having lost their lives for the word of God and for the testimony which they kept. They had the word of God. Why was John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1? For the word of God. It's a treasure chest. The church is a treasure chest. Jesus described it this way in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. This is a church. The householder is like a pastor, or a pastor who has the word of God and is able to bring out old things, new things. And that's what it's like. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the church is like a treasure chest. When you come in here on Sunday mornings, I hope that in our singing, our praying, our preaching, and the other things that we share and say and do will be things new and old that encourage your hearts. If you come prepared and you've prayed for it and you participate while you're here, you will be blessed. If you cheat on those things, you won't be. It's that simple. It's a spiritual thing that we're doing here. And I'm not your entertainer. The Lord gives us the entertainment we need in our hearts if we come prepared. It's Christ's prophecy. The church was prophesied. Jesus told Peter, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus prophesied about what he would do in the Piedmont with us. In Matthew sixteen eighteen, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank you, Lord, that even us blind, ignorant, foolish, God-hating Gentiles would humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and become a church. Far away from the nation of Israel. It's an angelic wonder. Remember, I spent some time on Sunday in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 about the fact that God's redemption of us is to show the angels His manifold wisdom. 
in his affection toward the church. But let's go to 1 Peter 1.12. Speaking of the prophets of God that wrote the Bible, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things. See, the prophets didn't write about themselves. They were always writing the future, and the future was for us. Isaiah was writing for us in Isaiah 53. Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, by the apostles, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ had the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they reported to New Testament believers the things that the prophets of the Old Testament had prophesied about. Which things the angels desired to look into. And that's the phrase I want right there. This church, this little decrepit looking building, this little piece of pitiful real estate, this little group of foolish, base people of the world that have assembled in here tonight is something that the angels desire to look into because they can't believe that a group of people so pitiful are the object of personal, intimate, eternal love of God the Father and the sacrifice of His only begotten Son for them. For, For us, I mean, not them, the angels. And there's angels in this assembly tonight. They're always here. When the Apostle Paul would appeal to Timothy and he was doing a lot of name dropping, he'd mention God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. And they're here tonight. They're our servants. Hebrews chapter 1, the last two verses say that they are our servants. They were created to be our servants because we are the sons of God. It's an angelic wonder what we have here. What are you doing to help this church? To build it, to love it, to pray for it. What can you contribute that you haven't been contributing to it? And I'm not talking about money. Heavenly connection. Oh, here's one of my favorite passages. You've heard it many times, but now I get to show you and take your eyes with me on a little journey through this long sentence of Hebrews chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Jews who had left the city of Jerusalem on earth and all the worship that was done in that beautiful temple of Zerubbabel, which was larger than Solomon's temple. Here's what Paul had to say to them. As New Testament believers that had left the Jewish religion, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, That's a name for the mountain on which the city of Jerusalem was built and where the temple was. But they're coming to a different mount. And you have as well. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. This is our heavenly connection as a church. The heavenly Jerusalem. Not the one on earth. The heavenly one. And to an innumerable company of angels. That means you can't number them. There's too many. Angels serving and attending to this church to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. We are part of a church that is in heaven. We are a little satellite, a little tiny satellite of a monster church that is in heaven, which are written in heaven. That's the membership role. It's the book of life. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, your father, grandfather, great-grandfather, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, aunts, that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were His elect, are already there without their bodies. Their spirits of the just men made perfect. They're waiting for us. As soon as the last one is born, regenerated, Jesus Christ is going to come and burn this place up and we'll be together forever with the Lord and with them. What a church. I know we're small. 
The truth is hated and despised. If we were to start preaching lies, the place would fill out. We could take one of these huge stores that have gone out of business and fill it. If we brought the rock and roll music in and played it at 120 decibels or higher, we'd fill it twice as fast. Because that's what they're doing these days. But we have a big church. We have a heavenly connection. And our connection is with Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood that Abel shed there in Genesis chapter 4, God accepted that blood and God accepted Abel because it was the right kind of a sacrifice. But brethren, what blood has been sprinkled for us on the altar in heaven? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly connection. Ye are come. Do I need to take you back up there and show you? Ye are come. Not you will come. Ye are come. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in close union with these angels and these spirits of just men made perfect. We're all part of the same body that Jesus Christ died for. We have a royal connection. That means kingly. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, God hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us kings and priests. You are a king and you are a priest. You don't need anyone to help you go meet God, talk to God, or confess your sins. You can go straight there as fast as I or faster. You don't need the Pope of Rome nor any Catholic priest. You don't need a pastor to take you to God. You don't need anyone else to help you confess your sins. You have a royal connection. You're a king and a priest. The king will accept you because you are a king. God will accept you because you are a priest. Made so by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is king of kings and the great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. The, the church is a truth defender. Paul told Timothy, if I tarry long... I want to come and see you, but if I tarry long, I want you to know how that thou, I want you to know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, speaking of the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The ground is the foundation, the pillar is a supporting beam or column, and it supports, defends, teaches, and promotes, defends, protects the truth. And that's what we want to do as a church. We love truth. We want to be tenacious for it. We don't want to move away. If the Lord shows us something new, He's going to have to show it to us with a tsunami of evidence that is completely overwhelming, and it's going to have to completely address and answer all objections and arguments that our old position could raise against it. That's how we stay in the same ground. We're willing to learn anything. But listen, we can't be willy-nilly about truth. It's got to be studied out very thoroughly, and you've got to have an overwhelming position before you ever consider moving, and your, your new position has got to answer every objection that the old position had and explain every argument you used for the old position. You say, that's a tough bill. <laughs> but the Lord's able to do it. We've changed things in the history of this church and we enjoy changing them because we want truth. Right. It's fun to say I was wrong and the Lord was right. What's wrong with that? Listen, without change you can't progress. There's no progress without change. We can't get better without change. But we love and defend truth. It's a source of salvation, a practical phase of salvation. Acts 2 says that the people were praising God, that early church after the day of Pentecost, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. 
There's a salvation being a church member because this is where the Holy Spirit is. This is where Jesus Christ is taught. This is Jesus Christ walking around his golden candlestick. This is not how you get to heaven, being a member of the Church of Greenville, but that there is a practical salvation of fellowship and communion and strengthening and instruction and comfort by the presence of God in this church. And there it tells us so, that there was a salvation in that church. It's a worship center. Look at 1 Peter 2.5. Ye also, and I'm talking to you, ye also as lively stones. A building takes stones if it's going to be a lasting building. A stone building can last a long time. But these are living stones, lively stones, because they're people. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And we've already had this. We go, yep, we're the house for the Holy Spirit. We believe that. And holy priesthood, we've already seen that in Revelation 1.6. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. This is how God wants to be worshipped in the New Testament. In a little obscure, cheap, run-down place like this with us. Because we love Him, and we're blood-bought, and our sins have been washed away by His blood, and we can offer up spiritual sacrifices, which, which is what He wants, and who makes them acceptable? Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Amen. You look at us and you say there's nothing acceptable going on in this room that would make its way to heaven. You look at a verse like this and you've got to make a choice. Do you want to believe what your eyes can see or what the eyes of faith can read? I believe what the eyes of faith can read. It excites me to be here tonight with you and share these things with you. Reality check. Why do we go to church? Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. You know, for six days... For 165, four hours, except for the four hours in the Lord's day, we're out in the world. But we want to hold fast. That means we don't let it move. We have it fastened in our grip, the profession of our faith, in our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We get out there in the world. The world's bombarding us with their lust and with their temptations and with their lifestyle and with their neglect and hatred. For the Lord Jesus Christ, truth, the Bible, and church. And so we have to come together again to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We're supposed to be stirring each other up tonight. I'm trying to stir you up to love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and go out there tonight and tomorrow and live for Him. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some think the church isn't very important. I can just stay at home. I can lay out whenever I feel like it. I've got myself a little cold, a little sore throat. I'm a little tired. And so they don't go to church. But going to church, that is assembling with the believers that make up a church, is important because we need to consider one another to provoke to love and to good works so that we can hold fast the profession of our faith and not be moved away from it. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, we want to be doing this with one another so that we love the Lord and do not slide away from Him with all the temptations of the world and the weakness of our flesh. It's God's seminary. Paul told Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, that's Paul's public preaching, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. That is in the church. Public preaching. There isn't private, secret information to be conveyed from one minister to another. It's the body of public truth. And I'm so thankful for that website that we have, because it's able to collect, store, and keep, and make very easily accessible by search engines... Everything we know and have preached publicly. It's a small claims court. 
Look at Matthew 18. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Don't tell your family and don't tell your spouse. If somebody hurts your little feelings and you're not big enough to forgive them and forget it, then go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. These are small matters. These are not sins against God. These are sins against you because you got hurt. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. There's the first stage of how you can solve a problem between it with another person. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Go take a couple more so that you can get these facts all straight as to who owes who what. And if he shall neglect to hear them, that is you and the two witnesses that you took with you, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. They're put out. Even if it's a small matter, if a person shows a rebellious, hateful attitude and will not cooperate to get along with you and will not submit to the judgment of the church, even in a small matter, they're to be excluded. That is the authority and power of the church. The next verse goes on to say that whatsoever a church binds on earth, God binds in heaven. Whatsoever a church looses on earth, God looses in heaven. These are small matters that the church brings to bear. It's a small claims court. It's a welfare agency. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. We don't need a government to take care of our poor. We'll take care of our poor. But notice, we take care of our poor according to their needs. We don't care what they want. Bible Christianity is not communism. Bible Christianity has a very hard and strong work ethic and a responsibility to save and to pay your own way. But when a man has needs and there's acts of God in their life, then the essentials like food, clothing, shelter, and medical needs are taken care of by the church. It's a welfare agency. This little place, this little group of people that we have here, wonderful, competent counselors. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Well, your best source for good counsel is in a church. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's a rhetorical question. Don't you know that? We will sit in judgment with the Lord Jesus Christ against angels. He'll lead and we'll be there with him. How much more things that pertain to this life? If we're going to judge angels, then the little tiny things of this life should be easy for us. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life which has just been assumed by the two questions in verse 3, because they're rhetorical, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Even the least members. You don't have to have ministers, pastors, even church members should be able to settle issues between members and provide competent counsel. Synergistic support. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. Synergism means different parts working together to result in a, in, a, in a product that is greater than the sum of their parts. By God putting us together in a church with different gifts, different abilities, working together, a church is able to be a wonderful thing, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Every one of you is necessary. And when you lay out and you don't participate and you don't jump in and you're not zealous for the church, you cost us all. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every part's important. Every joint's important. 
It makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Edifying is to build something up. An edifice is a building. Edifying is to build it up. The church gets better and better. We're not talking about bigger and bigger. We don't care about numbers. The Lord's in charge of numbers. What we care about is our growth in grace. And this is how it happens. And the Lord put us together this way. It's a prayer band. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Acts chapter 12. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Wouldn't you like that if you were in prison in the city of Jerusalem under Herod? To know that the church didn't stop praying. Now they they didn't have the faith we wish they had when he started knocking at the gate and they sent Rhoda out and Rhoda came back and said, well, Peter's there. I don't know why she didn't let him in. But uh, they said it must be his spirit. They weren't really believing in their praying, but they were praying. And I'm not really picking on them. We'd probably do the same thing. If you're having a prayer meeting for Peter, you know he's in prison. You know he's in the innermost prison. You know he's got 16 soldiers chained to him. And all of a sudden he's knocking at your door. Let's not pick on them too hard. What? What? If you want a prayer band, that's what a church is for, to pray together. It's a replacement family. Peter began to say, this is after the rich young ruler went away. Peter thought that he'd given up a lot to follow the Lord. And so Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. We're not like the rich young ruler. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. If you give up something for the Lord Jesus Christ, you win. You try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you'll lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. That's a rule of the New Testament. Look at that. I haven't had to give up very many blood relatives. But look at how many brothers and sisters I have in here. Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. It's best friends. Where do you look for your best friends? Acts 28.15, the Apostle Paul has, has disembarked from his ship and is making his way up the boot of Italy in Acts chapter 28. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us in Rome, they came to meet us as far as Appia Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw... He thanked God and took courage. There's no friends better. There's so many verses I could use on these points. Here's one that's touching. The Apostle Paul was going to stand before Caesar. And the brethren from Rome came and and encouraged him. The best friends you'll ever have are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's heaven's executioner. There was an incestuous fornicator that had slept with his father's wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the church at Corinth. Here's Paul's advice to them. This is the church. We're heaven's executioner. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Are you able to read those two sentences and see those words? When you're gathered together in my spirit, when a church comes together in a full assembly and they make a decision about a sinner in their midst and they put that sinner out from their communion and deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, they're heaven's executioner. The church is pretty important, isn't it? 
the whole point being, the church is pretty important. Do you pray for it? Do you labor for it? It's a living organism to whom coming is unto a living stone. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. It's a living organism. We're not an organization. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living. Look at the words. Lively stones. Having come to a lively stone, Jesus Christ, we're an organism. What's the spirit that gives our organism vitality? The Holy Spirit of God. We have bodily members. I have ten fingers, ten toes, two legs, two arms, two ears. All these different members are directed by one spirit, my personal spirit. Your body and spirit are the same way. The church has all these different members sitting before me and the Holy Spirit. It's an organism. It's living. It's not an organization. When Jesus Christ takes his spirit out of a church, then it's an organization. And no one knows that the spirit is gone. They keep going through the motions, but they're no longer pleasing to God. It's Freedom Park. You say, what in the world does that mean? Romans chapter 14, the chapter on Christian liberty. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. You know, if someone's weak in their understanding of things that are outside the pale of Scripture or things that God doesn't really care about, we're supposed to receive them. It doesn't matter. But not to doubtful disputations. We do not discuss, debate, or wrangle, or argue even about matters of liberty. We're quiet about them. We let each other have different opinions on anything that the Bible has not specifically addressed. I mean, some of you... We are, listen, some of you, let me correct that right now. I, at the top of the list, then you, have strong opinions on a lot of things. But our opinions on anything outside Bible doesn't matter. That's right. And I love that about a church. You can come in here and be safe. No one's ever going to pick on you for the way you do something that is different from what the majority may do. Listen, we've got public school families, we've got homeschool families, and private school families, and Christian school families, and, and we don't really care. You can do it any way you want. Just make sure you raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For one believeth that he may eat all things. This has to do with meat offered to idols, and we'll get to this when we get to Romans 14. Another who is weak eateth herbs. There's vegetarians in the church at Rome because they couldn't handle eating any meat purchased anywhere because they were afraid that it might have been offered to an idol. And there were others that didn't give a rip about idols because they knew there was only one God in heaven, so they'd buy anything, anywhere, even at a roadside stand and throw it down. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Look at these words. Let not him that eateth, even though he's got a strong opinion about it, despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. God doesn't care about those things, and so a church is a place where you're never going to get picked on. If the church is functioning the way it's supposed to. It's a support group. And when one, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, we're so excited when there's a conception in this church. We're so excited when there's an engagement. We're so excited when there's a, a marriage. We're so excited when someone gets a new job, someone gets a promotion. Why? Because of this verse and others like it. Romans twelve fifteen says the same thing. It's a support group. We have a secret supper, the Lord's Supper, 
We get to have supper with a king. Paul had received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Paul was not at the last supper with the other apostles because he was an enemy of the gospel in those days. But Jesus revealed this stuff to him directly about that supper. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Words you're so familiar with. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Do you understand that this is the high king of heaven, the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings, the lord of lords, having a little intimate meal of bread and wine with us every month? Unbelievable. Fantastic. Praise band. You know, I make fun of praise bands all the time because they're not scriptural. But we are a praise band together, and that is scriptural. Speaking to yourselves. Congregational singing. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We don't make our melody on musical instruments because the New Testament says we are to sing in all nine places that it describes New Testament music. It was the Old Testament that had musical instruments and altars and bleeding sheep and bloody goats and incense and miters and fancy robes and temples and tabernacles with gold furniture. The New Testament is right here, inside, in our hearts, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is a, so we have a praise band. Did you know you're a member of a praise band, Jennifer? We're the United Nations. Romans fifteen twenty six. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, those are two provinces of Greece on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Do you know that we're connected worldwide? This is all coincidental. I don't believe in such a word. It's all providential. Look what we sent to the Philippines this morning at 820. On the other side of the earth. And we got it there a whole lot faster than they of Macedonia and Achaia got it to Jerusalem. The United Nations, we take care of one another, but we take care of one another in the Lord. Yes. Notice, it's for the poor saints. We don't take collections for Japan and their God-hating nation when they have a tsunami. And you know there's whole pages and pages and sermons and sermons on why we take a position like that because nowhere in the Bible did Jesus or an apostle ever raise a dime for an unbeliever. Ever. Unless in your ordinary course of business you happen upon a wounded Jew. Right there in front of you is a Jew that God providentially put in your path. You better get down off your high horse and take him to the nearest inn and bind up his wounds and pour oil and wine in and give two pence to the innkeeper and tell him whatever else he spends you'll take care of later. And that's to get a man back on his feet that God put in your path. I don't have more time for that. Secret society. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. A church is a secret society in that the world does not recognize what's going on in here. Behold, let this sink into your attention. Let this get your attention. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, 
because it knew him not. Listen, they chase football players around, movie actresses, and singing artists. They have paparazzi that chases Prince William around. So ridiculous. If they ever knew that we were the children of the Most High God, this building would be surrounded. But the Apostle wants you to know that the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. It didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that if the princes of this world had known who they were messing with, they would not have touched the Lord of glory. And when he comes back, he is going to touch them. He said, it is better that you fall on me and be broken, because if I fall on you, I'll grind you to powder. Matthew 21. They don't know us. But because they don't know us, and because they don't have a place for us on the drudge report, doesn't mean we're not important. We're in God's report, the New Testament. You want to be in a mega church? We have an innumerable company of angels. How's that for a choir? You can't count it. You thought the choir was big in the Mormon Tabernacle Temple in uh, Salt Lake City? This is bigger by a few. It's the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, those that are written in the Book of Life, the spirits of just men made perfect. We are part of a mega church. How important is a church? How important is your church? What will you do for your church? Will you pray for it? Will you prepare for its assemblies so that you come in here with your mind off the world and your mind on the word and you're ready to worship, you're ready to sing? All the spats with your spouse are gone. You're at peace and you're in love with the Lord and you're in fellowship with him and all your sins are confessed. Will you participate in its assemblies? You know, when you all sing loud and you're all happy and rejoicing, I know I, I'm in a sweet spot because I stand in the front row, but it blesses my heart and it blesses everyone else's heart in here. We can encourage each other with our singing. That's why it's congregational singing. Will you participate when there's an opportunity to pray? You know, the biggest dilemma a pastor should have is when he says, is there a brother that will pray? Every brother should raise his hand. Why not? What are some of you going to say when the Lord asks you why you never prayed in public? And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I just want to provoke you a little bit to go home tonight and say, that little church at 212 East Standing Springs Road is pretty important. I can do better. Will you protect its doctrine and its peace? Will you be on the lookout when men fall into error and to bring them back into the way of truth, like James 5, 19 and 20 tells you? Will you warn the unruly? Will you comfort the weak? Will you support the weak and comfort the feeble-minded? Will you provide for it in every way that you are able? Where, where, where you can serve, you'll do it. Where you can give, you'll do it. Private, public, whatever you can do to make this church as good as it can be. Look what a church is. Isn't it wonderful what we have? Thank you, Lord. I hope it's been helpful to you. Let's all stand together.